Good day. Today, we're joined by Dr. Michael Oliver from the Global Partnership Family Offices, who'll speak on what needs to be considered to ensure that families build a trusted panel of advisors to support the family's vision and purpose and the ultimate objective of preserving wealth for future generations to come. Michael Oliver co-founded Global Partnership Family Offices, known as GPFO, in 2009. And he spent over 30 years teaching at various universities in the United Kingdom, in America and in France. And he has combined this with a practical application of economics to advise and educate family offices and high-profile corporations. Michael is innately aware of the value of peer learning, which is one of the key drivers of founding Global Partnership Family Offices. He's also currently a senior lecturer in finance at the Open University and has published extensively on monetary history, exchange rate regimes and macroeconomic policy. He's been an economic advisor to the Corporate Services Scrutiny Panel and was a member of the Migration Policy Development Board on the island of Jersey, where he lives. Let's talk about Global Partnership Family Offices, which has been helping family offices since 2009. Uh, can you spend just a few minutes telling us what it is you actually do for family offices? Hello to you and thank you for that question. Global Partnership Family Offices was established, as you said, in 2009 with the very straightforward intention of addressing the things which keep the family office awake at night. Now, sleeplessness, if you will, in this context is caused by any number of things, which include what's happening to that investment I made in that tech company in Toronto. How's my daughter managing her new company in Singapore? Is my back office platform up to the job of giving me the level of detailed reporting I require? How do I get involved in philanthropy? So in essence, GPFO is a private networking group of a large number of family offices, principals, the family members, ultra high net worth individuals, and their appointed advisors. And what we do is we bring this group together for peer learning and insights through face-to-face -face activities, online forums, and we also publish a regular magazine and newsletter. We have representatives in a number of different locations around the globe, and when the world is more normal, we do regular events and activities in different jurisdictions around the globe. And our members use us really as a finger on the pulse of what is going on in the family office world. Where appropriate, we work with service providers to this wealthy community, the bankers, the asset managers, the lawyers, and so on. And through this community we have created, family offices can seek ideas and guidance from others and come to realize they're not alone. Indeed, if you think about it, one of the big problems which many wealthy people face is they often feel like big game with a target on their backs. They're being hunted by asset managers, by bankers, individuals and institutions who are seeking to raise capital and think the wealthy are easy pickings. Of course, many people, especially the media, can develop an unhealthy and misplaced obsession about rich people. So in short, GPFO brings all sorts of generational wealth together. Lesson drawing is so important, as you've just indicated, to learn what other families are doing and how they're doing it and why. So to reduce that feeling of insecurity and anxiety where they would be seen or perceived to be seen as big game, then I guess addressing the issue of trust must be a really huge one for wealthy people. So how do they know who they can trust, where to go? It's a huge issue, as you just pointed out. And back to the point I made just now about wealthy people having targets on their backs. Many well-established family offices have excellent trusted relationships with their bankers and lawyers, and that might go back several generations. 
There's a high level of respect and trust there. But younger members of the family might wish to refocus those relationships if they get more involved in the day-to-day -day running of the family office. New wealth, for example, needs guidance on who they might establish a relationship with. And trust, if you think about it, can take decades to build, minutes to break. So peer learning in this context, it really does help. And to reiterate, we're often asked what other families are doing, how they do it, why they do things in a certain way. And each family, of course, is different. There are some common modalities, such as wealth preservation and wealth creation, a point I'm going to probably return to later. Now, the pandemic has thrown up all sorts of new challenges and fortunes are lost and being gained. And if you think of COVID as an exogenous shock, like an unexpected financial shock, and forgive me for putting my economist hat on here, family offices need market insights. What safe haven assets do I trust? Commercial real estate, hospitality, leisure assets, operating businesses. These are things that they might have gone to in a usual shock, but not this time. And I think the biggest difference that we have seen with this shock is the way it has made many families reassess so much of what they do from a very fundamental perspective and how they do this with their operations. And of course, this again has thrown into the spotlight this issue of trust. Many families have seen the fragility of life, the impact on lifestyles. Close friends or relatives have died. The patriarch the matriarch realise they will not live forever. And perhaps now is the time for the intergener intergenerational wealth transfer that we read and hear so much about to actually occur. So the pandemic has had a pr profound effect on some. And this is not just an investment decision process, as it is with a pure financial crisis, something much more tangible, more immediate. And if you think about established family offices, the role of the trusted advisor really comes into play in these sort of situations. In the family office world, grey hair is very important. The old the trusted advisors, of course, have lived through the bull and the bear markets, seen the children in the family grow up and understand how the principal operates and, and so on. So I think it's important to stress it's not all about the investment piece. And that's often the focus of many people because that's where they think, and it is, I suppose, where the money is, where it's perceived to be. But it's also around on what we would call the softer issues, which are invariably the harder issues for families, governance, family issues, mechanics of how the family office operates, selecting staff and so on. So and no, there can be big differences, I think, between old and new wealth around issues of trust as well. Establishing a family office is a monumental decision and establishing trusts, the irony is in that word, isn't it, can be problematic for some as they have to let go of some degree of control. So, Michael, what you're alluding to is the importance of um, relationships that are built with advisors that are cemented and founded on respect, on sensitivity. So how do service providers such as banks, asset managers, accountants, even lawyers, how do they add value to family offices around this all important theme of trust? Well, we're often told by family members that few service providers really step into the shoes of a family office to understand what it is that the family office is looking for. And it's also something we've witnessed as well. So some service providers scare that big beast away because they want to sell something quickly rather than taking the time of getting to know the family office, being patient, building on that relationship with the executives and decision makers. And this mismatch is, is very frustrating for all concerned. And I know it's difficult to balance a strictly commercial approach, which is beneficial to the family. 
So a family office, if you think about it, thinks long term, but service providers often think very short term. I mean, by contrast, I, I think of one trust company here in Jersey who spent eight years talking to a particular family office without receiving any piece of business. But they know that when the time comes, the family will use them because they've been there for the long haul. And that's invaluable. And a decent service provider is invaluable for the novice family who's had a liquidity event and knows nothing about the investment world. Establishing a family office, requiring advice on tax and fiduciary issues, and putting some basic discipline about the investment process and so on. And about eight and nine years ago, our advisory board was getting pretty fed up with some of the, the sales patter and the lack of understanding about the modern family office from service providers. So we put a course together to literally teach service providers to step into the shoes of the family office. And it, and it went very well indeed. And there was a, a, a better degree of relationship and understanding and trust between service providers who had done the course and then when they met the families. So we do work closely with service providers, perhaps adjusting their presentation to refocus their message to families, suggesting ways in which they can enhance their service offering and so on. Now, sometimes that offer of help and suggestions are not always taken up and then you see the consequences. So if a family office finds a top quality trusted advisor, they should offer impartial and balanced advice. This isn't necessarily the case with principals and family members, their peers, because they're often jaded by their experiences and mistakes. So there is a very important role for service providers. And sometimes family offices are not open to new ideas, for various good reasons, I might add. So this is another barrier for service providers who think they've just invented the newest financial instrument, for example. So what happens, unfortunately, when that trust is broken down? Oh, this can become nasty. And we can look at it from the internal side, family disputes, and the external service providers and others. Um, if we're looking at internal family disputes, all families have their difficult and fraught relationships. When you've got a few billion dollars at stake or north of that, these become more intense. There's also, and they don't like to talk about it, many opportunities from fraud and misbehavior in a family office. It's embarrassing to talk about this, but it's worryingly common. Do people really understand the risks and best practice? And it's very valuable here to be up to date with the latest IT systems, security systems in the family office. And many talk, people talk about the rags to rags or shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. Why does that occur? And it's invariably because of family disputes. As soon as we involve lawyers, the game is almost up because the money then goes on the lawyers and the family disputes get more ingrained. So, you know, it can be very, very nasty when things go wrong. And there are plenty of examples of public disputes that we see dragged through the law courts. The family office, really, if it's working properly, is the glue which holds the family together. From the external side now, from the service provider side, I mean, we see a couple, and I've, I've come across a couple of horror stories from private banks, for example, who are traditionally the trusted advisor. Um, some have drawn lessons across time and space and others haven't. And I think if you step back and think about this issue of trust and when it breaks down, effectively, best practice is preparing for every eventuality. And a good example of that, of course, is the royal family, the British royal family, the contingency planning to the last nth degree 
funeral planning, what the BBC will broadcast and so on. I know that's on a, on a major scale, but you get the same some sense of the level of uh, commitment and contingency planning involved in that. Um, you know, there are different examples of trust issues. You know, you might have a mistake on a tax return. Well, that's one thing. But then an advisor might misplace their advice on buying a company with disastrous results. I, I think the point to stress, actually, if, if you've done all the right things, you follow best practice and the only impact is loss of trust. Well, it, it should have smaller ramifications on the underlying and longer term issues for the family office. So being thorough and meticulous also underpins um, those elements of trust. Now, how have family office and family business trends, how have those changed over the past 10 years, for instance, um, in your observation? We've already mentioned, I think, wealth preservation, but we also ought to mention wealth creation. So family offices are there for many generations and they've got the mission of wealth preservation, but at the same time, wealth creation. Now, preservation isn't good enough now. The world is moving faster than inflation. So to stay ahead and relevant, you need a growth mandate, not necessarily a preservation mandate. And many families are struggling to come to terms with this, to be frank. Many family offices are now family businesses. So they had a liquidity event, they sold the family business, they've grown their assets over time, they invest in, in a new business. In other words, they're back looping again to running a bank or running a big corporation or a manufacturing plant. I think over the last decade and a half, we've certainly witnessed that many families are open to ideas and sharing best practice. And we've facilitated that through global partnership, if you think about it. The other thing we've noticed is a, a greater degree of co-investment and collaboration. Many families would often prefer to invest with their peers than buy product from a financial services company who is in the news for poor ethical behaviour, for example. And some of those what I call softer issues, which I really think are the harder issues, uh, have come up a lot this year through our Family Office Solutions programme. We've run this programme looking at things like governance, how to do an MOT on a family, risk and security back office platforms and how to put together an investment committee. These, if you think about it, are perennial problems which deviate around a trend over time. I think the other thing to bear in mind as well is that for family offices, they have so much information thrown at them nowadays from banks and other service providers, the use of the internet. They have access, of course, to nearly all markets because exchange and capital controls have now been erased. That significantly increased their exposure to new ideas. And I think the final point I would make, there's been a move towards thinking more ethically across the whole of the family, rather than just giving some money away, the traditional view of philanthropy. It's about all stakeholders, not just shareholders. And it's a very complex issue to resolve, especially if people are scared of being accused of hypocrisy and also letting the search for a perfect nirvana become, become the enemy of doing better. Thank you so much. Uh, so well articulated. Thank you, Michael. <laughs>